North Node. It is a process. There's a lot of frustration. There's a, there is a lot of cussing. There's a lot of sweating. There's self-doubt. And there are moments of total joy and feelings of incredible accomplishment at the end of some of those things. Hi, I'm Paige Nolan. Welcome to I'll Meet You There, a place where heart-centered conversations are everything. Living what matters is the truest thing, and sharing the journey is the best. Okay, y'all, episode one is finally ready. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. I invited my husband, Boyd McDonald, to be the first guest, and I did that for two reasons. First and foremost, my intention for I'll Meet You There is to connect with people who are truly living their values. I'm always curious about this process for all of us, and I think it's way harder to do than it seems like it's going to be. And it just requires so much clarity and courage and can be a choice-by-choice experience. And one of the ways that Boyd lives to his values so well is how he centers his life on music and creativity. He's done this since the first day I met him, which was 30 years ago in college. And he's done this our entire marriage, which is now nearly 19 years. And I just have come to really admire how much music and creativity defines who Boyd is. And the second reason I chose Boyd as my first guest is that I know I'm on a learning curve here. And he's been so supportive and patient and encouraging. And we did, in fact, have to round a part of that curve. And what I mean by that is the first time we spoke, we had this great conversation and we're feeling all connected and we talk about so many things and we finish and I realize I have not pressed the record button. So he was great about it. We took a week off. I let that go, and we ended up having what I consider to be a better conversation the second time around, which is the conversation you're about to hear. In this episode, Boyd will reference his brothers, they're Carter and Clayton, and together the three of them are a force of fun and music and laughter. And then towards the end of the episode, I reference our children. We have twin daughters, Ryan and Mimi, who are juniors in high school, and we have a son named Miles who is in eighth grade. Before we get to this uninterrupted conversation with Boyd, I want to share a couple things I have coming up. We're upon the end of the year now, and I love the light of December. It's my favorite month, but it's also super busy and stressful, and it's packed with expectations and family obligations and all of that emotion. In fact, it's really easy for that light to get overshadowed by the overwhelming nature of it all. So I created this experience for myself a while back called 31 Days of Gratitude. And it started as a personal commitment to practice gratitude intentionally for each day of December. And then last year, I officially offered it to my community. And it was so meaningful and it was such a gift to share it with y'all that I've decided to offer it again. I would love for you to join me. 31 Days of Gratitude is an invitation to embrace your life just as it is and radically shift your perspective to one of appreciation and love. Each morning, you'll access a passage that I've written for us through your email inbox, and that passage will conclude with a prompt inviting you to your own grateful reflections. Many of you gifted the 31 days to your loved ones, and that was the best part for me, that you all shared it with each other, and it created conversation and connection, and it really helped people through the harder parts of the month of December. This is what the joy of the holiday season is all about. 
It's about us showing up for each other and appreciating the goodness and the value in our lives. And then after the holidays settle on Thursday, January 4th, we'll gather online and welcome 2024 as a community. We'll set our intentions and have a lot of fun being together. To learn more and or join the 31 Days of Gratitude experience, please visit pagenolan.com forward slash 31 days. Okay, Boyd, I want to start at the beginning. I want to meet you in a place that you love. I want to learn more about you and music and you and creativity. So I want to start way back in your childhood home. And I want you to share with us what your first messages were about music and maybe creativity broadly, but just those early, the early environment of where that was introduced to you and any early memories you have of making music, knowing that you loved music or just what creativity looked like? Well, my dad was a musician. Um, He was a jazz sax player uh, all through his youth and into his 30s. He played in clubs um, even as he was starting a family. He was going through business school and, you know, working a job, a banking job that he ended up having for like 30 years. But music was always really what his love was. So it was very, very present in our house all the time. He traveled a lot for work. Um, He would be gone usually most weeks, like Monday and get home Friday. But on the weekends, he would be at the kitchen table with all of his files and his his, uh, yellow legal pads and his manila folders everywhere. And he would just have jazz on. So it was always around us all the time. It was just on. It wasn't anything that we thought about. It was just a part of the fabric of our house. And that's definitely my most vivid memory of music and also really one of my most vivid memories of just growing up. Did your mom play music in the house when your dad was gone? Monday through Friday? Was it classical? No, she probably needed a break. No, she, 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 um, she liked classical music. Yeah. And I think my mom has always appreciated music. It's not sort of her truth in the way that it was my dad's, you know, as my, it was really the sort of defining factor for my dad was music. That was sort of his most pure, authentic means of connecting, communication, um, existing. Yeah. Uh, It was really, you know, that, that was it for him was music, but yeah, so. So it definitely was was always around. I'm I'm looking right now at a picture of my dad and me, and I I'm probably four. Will you hold it up for people who sure. end up watching us? Yeah. So I'm probably four years old. Oh, that's sweet. And it's like my f- first. I didn't end up playing guitar until I was much much older. But yeah, you can see great seventies. <laughs> Everything about it is seventies. Great seventies do on me and him. But yeah, I mean, he's beaming, smiling. I think that the the message and the sort of the sort of uh, natural message that was communicated to us through action and existence yeah. was joy around music. You know, it was just like pure joy that he got out of music, and so that became, I think, woven into my psyche, whether I knew. It, or not at the time. Yeah. Um, Did you and your brothers they, create music that young? Were you already creating well, music or was um, it other types of creative expression? 
we started taking, or I started taking piano lessons when I was about six or seven, and that was mandated. I mean, yeah. it was not not my own, you know, decision that I made at that age. So it wasn't me leading the charge on that. They want my dad wanted us to learn music and then see if it sticks. And so I ended up taking piano for about seven or eight years, and or eight or nine years even into my teens. And uh, sometimes it, it was not enjoyable. You know, I was learning like classical Suzuki method mm-hmm. piano, and that's not really exciting to a kid, but I still felt like I was connected to it in some way. I, I didn't yell and scream about wanting to quit. Yeah. So even in the moments when I didn't love it, like, boy, you know, my friends would have a dinner party or friends over and they'd say, boy, play something. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't want to do this. But, but you I, did I it. would do it. Yeah, I would do it. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I felt connected enough to it. And I guess they saw enough potential in me in that way yeah. that they wanted they wanted me to keep doing it. So, but then my brothers and I would be making creative content of whatever kind. <laughs> call it content. <laughs> Very loosely called content. It would be us in the basement, you know, making up scenes about as a means to get into some sort of action sequence. Yes. So whether it was like sense. a bar fight or like a you know what any movie we watched we would immediately launch into you know a couple hours of fight scenes yeah even if it was like ET and then we'd be like <laughs> well let's fight so was Clayton uh, ET <laughs> probably Clayton was ET and Carter and I were like the two guys trying to kill ET right <laughs> um, and so most but but we would we were always creating these elaborate scenes and and of course we started you know using my parents video camera and we would make music videos and we would make up songs and things like that for sure yeah when did it become more real for you and by real i mean when did you realize that that was such an important part of your self-expression and joy to to use your word that you used earlier i would say Really not until college. So I I played piano until I was maybe 14 or 15, and then I quit. And it was right when I was getting into jazz and jazz theory and all the cool shit. And like, uh, if I could go back, I just didn't have perspective at that time of how cool it was. I just was sort of tired of playing piano. Piano, I couldn't see that it was cool at the time. I didn't have the confidence, I didn't have the perspective to to understand that piano is really awesome. So I took a year or something, about a year, year and a half off. And then I got pulled back in for the first time really on my own accord to guitar. A buddy of mine started taking guitar lessons and uh, was telling me how cool it is and everything. And I then started with this teacher and this, this weird teacher who was perfect for a 17 year old because I was like, I don't want to learn classical music anymore. I want to learn Guns N' Roses yeah. or I want to learn Chili Peppers Something that's or whatever relevant. it was. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that was connected to me and that I was excited about. So he'd be like, oh, cool. And he would had this huge, like weird old briefcase and he would pull out these handwritten tablatures of whatever song oh, that's I cool. wanted. And yeah. if he didn't have it, then the next week he would have it. Then I started feeling really connected to music because I was learning stuff that I was excited about. 
I went to college and I was not, I'd been playing guitar for a year, maybe, maybe two years. And I, I wasn't very good. I was still really rudimentary, but I knew that I was interested in it. And a guy that I had gone to high school with, Tom Kachukas, who mm -hmm. was also at Vanderbilt when I was there. And um, he was a year ahead of me and he was in a band and he came and asked me if I wanted to be in the band. Mm -hmm. um, he knew I played guitar. We were buddies already and everything. And it was like, are you serious right now? I don't, I'm not. Are, okay, are all yeah, the band yes. members older? Is everybody in the band uh, upperclassmen? Everybody. Well, there was one other kid that was my age. Yeah. Chris Gallagher, who ended nice. up is one of my longest. <laughs> we love Chris. <laughs> yeah. Closest buddies. And he was the drummer. Everybody else was older. And then, um, and so, yeah, I joined this band and I didn't really know what I was doing. I, I felt very pulled in very quickly to it, personally speaking. Like it was, oh my God, this is like a joy that I've never experienced before. Be playing because with playing with people. your friends, yeah. Playing with your friends, yeah. even in just a practice room. And we would go in the rent, like in deep Nashville, we'd go rent yeah. like these storage units and bring a space heater and just be out there for hours every night. And there's no, there's no, they have, you have rudimentary electricity in the place that we would blow regularly and then no heat, yeah. you know? So it's like, and no AC. So you're like, you're just, but you're out there and it's the best. And then certainly playing live was like this high that I was, you know, unfathomable. To Even me when you were insecure? That. Even though you were, you know, you didn't know, totally would, know what you were doing once you were on stage, you could feel that I, surge of energy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Let's just say my stage presence was not great because yeah. I was totally focused sense. on not messing up. up the song. Right. So I'm looking at my guitar for the first year. It was like, but I could feel inside. It was like, oh, my God, this is what what's happening right now. This is amazing. And then, you know, as time went on through the next couple of years of being in school, the singer left and I became the singer, which I then was like, I had always been able to sing. And I, yeah. again, it was just a growth in musical confidence and everything else. But, but that was really fun for me and really engaging and elevated it more. And I, of course, became more comfortable. And or were you writing um, your own songs at that point or not yet? Yeah. Later in the evolution of, of the band in college, we started writing our own material. And I did that with a guy who ended up becoming one of the deepest creative connections I would have in life uh, to yeah. this day, Ed Jewell. He joined the band maybe a year in at the perfect time for me because I had gained enough confidence on how to play. And then he came in and it was like, this guy has something that nobody else has that I've been in contact what with. What is that? What is that thing? It was and is just pure authenticity. Yeah. He, it's a good word for him. Yeah. Like everything that Ed did. And does. Yeah. He's and so, does. He's still like this. Just comes out of him. He's not trying to do anything for anybody. Yeah. He's not trying to be cool in any way. He just is all those things. And the way that he plays the bass was exactly like that. And that resonated deeply with me because I also f approach the instruments and music in the same way that Ed does. Like I'm not, neither of us is 
overly technical. Yeah. We're not uh, we're not great technical players. We're not we don't shred. You know, there's nothing like that. I, I'm not good at any of that. What I'm good at is having an ear for music and being able to mm. pick things up through listening and, and feeling things. And Ed really embodied that. Like he could just feel it and he could hear it. So when I started playing with him, it was very evident immediately, like that there was a deeper connection there. Yeah. And I had already experienced this thing of playing with other people, which was amazing. But then playing with Ed took it to this 10x level of getting deep, deep, deep into the pocket with somebody else where you're you're not thinking about anything yeah. and you're just going together. I want to ask you about that, yeah. whether that's with Ed or in the band or because I have experienced you having those, um, I would call them experiences of flow now, you know, and you're not in a band now. What is that yeah. like when you describe, when you say deep in the pocket, I think I know what you mean. And I think I know that from my own writing experiences. Does it feel the same when you're deep in the pocket with somebody who is a bandmate and a friend and you're alone? Can it feel the same? And and tell us more about what flow is like for you. That's a great question. Yes, it can happen when you're alone. It can ha happen when you're with somebody else. It's You can definitely get in the pocket when you're alone also. And it's really just about, when you're alone, for me at least, it's really just about letting go and being super present and just not trying to control what's happening and, and, and letting it flow. Like you, I, a friend of, and I were talking the other day about this Bob Dylan interview when he was talking about songs that he had written when he was young. Yeah. And he said something to the effect of, I don't know who wrote those songs. Yeah. I recorded those songs. I don't know who wrote them. Like it, it was, it, you know, and John Batiste did one recently that another buddy and I were chatting. About. I love him. Yeah. And it's the same. Yeah. It's the same, same principle where he's like, I'm just this vessel. I'm just a channel for yeah. these ideas. I think that's totally true. And that's what it is when you can get in the pocket. Unfortunately, you know, the result is typically not a Dylan song or a John Batiste song for, for me. Yeah. But the feeling is there and it's really about just releasing yeah. and kind of going where you're pulled. And and then you're not intentionally thinking about, I'm going to play this note, that note, that I'm going to, like for you in writing, I have to imagine it's the same way. You're not, when you get in that yeah. deep flow, that deep state of flow, you're, you're probably not thinking, now I'm going to write this sentence and it's going to lead to that sentence versus following where you're being pulled yes. by and a bigger thing. I think that's so important because to me, that's, that is the reward of creativity. It's not like what you just said, well, I'm not writing a John Petty's song or I'm not writing a Dylan song. Those songs aren't those songs when John and Bob are sitting with the creative process. They become those songs when they resonate with an audience. Mm -hmm. But it's not like Dylan sits down and says, I'm going to write a Bob Dylan song. He's right. just in the flow. And that's what I think, that's one of the things I think creativity has taught me the most in terms of connecting it to well-being and, and a life mm -hmm. that matters, which is what I want these conversations to be about and something that I really care about is having a conversation 
about really living what's important to you. Mm-hmm. And creativity is important to you. And it's important to me. Yeah. And so in that moment where you're in it and you don't feel so attached to what you're creating and you don't feel attached to the outcome, the audience is irrelevant. The, the reader is mm-hmm. absolutely irrelevant in my best writing. In fact, if you let yeah. the listener or the reader in, it pollutes the work because the, the yeah. work isn't about how it's going to be received. The work is about you figuring out what you want to say and your point of view. And like Absolutely. you, I think friends have really helped me to understand that and supported me. It sounds like Ed is one, Chris Gallagher is one. The thing that I was able to glean from my relationship with Chris with music is that Chris embodies the joyfulness of yeah. music. And yeah. much like in I, how I mentioned it with my dad, like Chris has that. Chris will sit in with any band at any time, anywhere. I've seen him every time I'm with him, we go out and he will end up sitting in with a band. And oftentimes I have found myself on stage because Chris has informed the band that I should be playing <laughs> congas. I'm not a con- I am not a percussionist. And next thing I know, like we were at a Chicago music festival. This is 15 years ago or something. But And Chris, of course, is going to talk to the band. And I'm like, well, there he goes. Next thing I know, he's grabbing me and the two of us are on stage now at this huge music festival and I'm playing someone's congas like with this Samba band because Chris loves Samba. So he does not care about anything. He just wants to play music and he just loves it so much and he's always smiling. So he's not concerned about the audience. That's not true. He he wants the audience to be having as much fun as he's having. Yes. He's Um, not concerned about the perfectionism. He's not he's not concerned about the details of the performance. So it sets you free. Which is yeah. Which totally sets you free. Yeah. And then Ed, my biggest sort of pull from Ed is, as I mentioned, the authenticity of it and just trusting yourself. The reason that we wrote well in college and then after college when I played for several years in a band with Ed and some other guys, but Ed and I would write a lot of the music together. And it was really this... It was a safe space. It was a very natural, safe space where you could have five shitty ideas, but there was no self-consciousness around that. And I think that's just incredibly important to find either with yourself or with somebody else. Because when you're creating by yourself too, you have to just allow for shittiness. Yeah, You can't expect, it's about releasing that perfection like, like you just mentioned with Chris. Yeah, And so- that's hard to do when you're alone. And it's really hard to do when you're with somebody else because there's just that vulnerability of like, well, I don't want to have this, I don't want to bring up this lame lyric or yeah. God, this riff is it's your this ego. riff is so canned. Yeah. Or when you're brainstorming on comedy or something or writing, it's like sharing something that you wrote. Oh, this I hope they think that this doesn't suck, you know? Yeah. And so finding someone that you can do that with not only gives you the room to to develop that self-confidence and authenticity, but it also just elevates the whole thing. And I'm much more of a collaborator. I I like creating by myself and it's fun, but I love collaborating with people. And so finding those relationships that elevate that have been the key for me in growing creatively and just having so much fun doing it. I would much rather be doing it with somebody that I love and yeah. That I am am like in that pocket with together, yeah. whether it's music or whatever else. 
This is what I think is so interesting about that. I'm just yeah. making this connection now since this isn't the first time we've talked about this <laughs> because I don't always press record. Right. But I feel like this connection of you first creating with your brothers and having your childhood home be so um, receptive and playful and fun and full of good humor is a through line for you. And I think that's mm -hmm. such a blessing. And it's something that I really learned from your family. And in my childhood home, creativity was also appreciated and valued. But I got the message, and I don't know if this is just for my parents or the culture at large, but I always equated it to, yes, it's great to be creative, but make sure it's useful. You know, make sure mm -hmm. it's well-received, make sure it's mm -hmm. like a book that was a national bestseller is more valued than just a book. You know, I think that's right. also like achievement culture at large. But then I also think my family is very practical. And I love that about my family, very grounded. And I felt like your family, when I was, I met your family, I think the first holiday I did with y'all, I was 21. I'd probably been to your house before then, but like the official Christmas holidays, you know, I was 21 years old. And mm -hmm. it was just so full of costumes and wigs. And, you know, you have two younger brothers, Carter and Clayton. Carter going and putting on your mom's clothes for fun. And like all of a sudden we were in a role play or a situation and your dad is, you know, amping that up and kind of fueling that fire for no useful reason. It's just, no, it's just, it just good fun. So I think my yeah. point here is like, there's so many lessons from our childhood that we can keep about creativity. And then there's mm -hmm. some things that we learn about creativity that are better unlearned and kind of tweaked. And I think your family has broadened my value of, of creativity because in my challenge is often, you know, letting, you have to let go of just control and be in the flow. And I have to let go of having it make sense and having it be important and having it matter and having it be helpful, you know, and just right. enjoy it. Like if it's a metaphor and I think it's a, something that's interests me or my brain is in, in that space of, descriptive language, just go with it. Who cares? It's the idea that the audience is last. That's the Rick yeah. Rubin. You know, it has to feel good to you, whether it ends up being a book that sells a million copies or a book that lives with you on your hard drive, like is or or a song or whatever it is. And finding joy and fulfillment in the making of it yeah, um, for yourself. And remaining playful because both you and I have now, uh, I guess, evolved our career paths to where our creative expression is a big part of how our businesses thrive. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, it's also like, it can still be playful. It can still be light. It doesn't always have to be pointing in this direction of life or death. Yeah. Right. Like my business and what I'm talking about, and this is important and you might want to hire me and you know, all that stuff. So I think yeah. it's a balance of both of those. It does get um, more complex when your mortgage is yeah. in the balance. Right. And, and your, your creativity is, is the driving factor of your livelihood. But I think to your point, it's, it makes it even more important to remember to be playful with it and to remember that it's fun. It should be fun. Yeah. It should be joyful. When um, Will you tell us when you forget that and how you get back to it? 
Do you have to switch genres? Like I know for your, in your professional life, you're often producing music. You're not the one creating yeah. it, but you're, you're using your right. ears and you're giving feedback to musicians. And in the last couple of years, you've taken up piano. Like is, is piano yeah. a release from that? And, and you know, you're always creating songs for people's weddings and birthdays, and you're always doing fun bits with your friends. So when you've lost joy or when you're under the pressure to create something mm -hmm. for Deadline or for somebody's TV show or somebody's commercial, how do you get back to the origins of why you do music in the first place? That's another good question. These are all questions I didn't ask you in the first take. There you go. <laughs> That's right. This is we're standing by that you can do something <laughs> creative and have it evolve because I didn't plan right. on any of this. Exactly. Well, I think that it can be easy to fall into a feeling of and anywhere from like this has to be great because it's for a job yeah. or this I hate this because I'm just and I suck at piano or I I'm not good at guitar. What am I doing? When when I just am creating for fun. Like it's like god, it's you know I don't even know why I picked this thing up. You know, like, of course, there are those feelings sometimes. But um, I think the way to get out of it, professionally, I've navigated that by surrounding myself with brilliant musicians. Yeah. So my business has evolved where it started where I was the one that was on deadline writing the music. Yeah. When I was just starting. And and that just naturally evolved from me playing in bands and then not playing in bands and being in corporate America and then feeling like I needed some outlet to continue to play music and sort of stumbling into writing music for TV shows, which then led me over several years of moonlighting doing that to starting my own company around that. And But when I was starting it, it was like, okay, well, I have five other composers that I know. And a lot of the times I was the one writing it and it was very stressful. So stressful. Yeah. So over time though, as I built the company, I've been able to bring in musicians who are incredible and way better than I am. And so, and, and sort of pivot to being in a producer role, which much more suits me. And so I have total faith in my composers and my producers. So I can give them the the brief and say, we need this in four days. And then I can go about the other things that I have to do. And I don't stress about it yeah. in, in the way that I used to. So that's been totally helpful for me because I know that they will deliver something yeah. that's we're, of the highest We're back quality, on collaboration. So. <laughs> Everything yeah, is collaboration totally. with you. Yeah. Everything's collaboration. It's just good this, to know that about yourself because everything is not collaboration for me. Right. Yours is much more of an independent journey. Mine, even when I was the maker of the music or the maker of the writing or the maker of the comedy shorts or whatever, the stuff that I've played with through the years, it was always with other people. Yeah. And that's um, and not that's to say that you can't work alone. And it's not to say that I don't like no. collaborating. I think it's just to right. know how you need to work and where you feel yourself in flow, you know, right. and and kind of in the joy of it all. I feel like the joy mm -hmm. of it all for you is 
is working with people, enjoying the process, having fun. And I can do that, but sometimes the joy of it all for me is going deep into an idea. And that mm -hmm. is playful for me. I mean, that's actually fun to like think deeply yeah. about something. Yeah, that's where you are in your zone of genius. I mean, mm -hmm. you you think very deeply about most things. <laughs> too, too, <much>. <laughs> <laughs> too many things. Boy, do you want to talk and about I, life? Not right now. <laughs> not, not really. How I want to now? watch something violent and sexual on nope. TV. <laughs> I, I want, yes, I am. Spartica. Uh, I've been standing here uh, in the bathroom while you're in the bath and talking about the meaning of life. And I've been standing here, as you noticed, for the past 20 minutes, leaning against the door oh. frame, ready to get in bed. Yes. So no, I, I do don't get talk about uh, it right my second now. winds of reflection often come at the very end of the day when I've had a day and I've talked to clients and I've done some whatever reading or writing or whatever else I'm going to do. And it's like, I want to download with you and you're melting into the door flame frame, like trying to walk out. Yeah. <laughs> like that is the absolute opposite end of the spectrum where I am at that hour, which of course usually is like 9.03 yeah. PM. I'm like, I am done. All systems are shut down. Yeah. And you sometimes have trouble reading that. I do. But um, yeah. I ignore the signs. Yeah. You really, really, yeah. you blow right past Selective all the Selective listening. That's okay. That's okay. Um, I want to go yeah. back to something you said earlier when we were talking about how you manage your own limitations. I don't think you mm -hmm. use the word limitations, but you know when you can't figure something out and moving into the producer role has made more sense to you, it suits you better. When you change gears and you're back in the creator role and you're doing something on guitar, or you're writing a song to celebrate someone, or you're on the piano and you can't figure that out mm -hmm. and you're confronted with a limitation, how do you handle the self-doubt of it? How do you handle that it's not coming out as perfectly as you hear it? Because I have to imagine for musicians, it's similar to writers. It's similar to chefs. It's similar to athletes. It's similar to dancers. You see it or hear it you know, in your mind before it's become a reality. And it's for me, it's yeah. the gap of like what I think I can create, what how moving I want it to be, how eloquent I want it to to be, and then what comes out inevitably in that process, it's different. And that's life, right? The idea of life, yeah. the idea of a dream. If your dream is to have a different career, if your dream is to have a different type of marriage, if your dream is to get married, if your dream is to have kids, then all of a sudden it's real. And it's different, you know, and mm -hmm. I think just that as a human is really humbling. And how do you yeah. in those moments confront your limitation and then embrace whatever actually is coming out because it's yours? I'll use piano as an example because I started, I reconnected with piano in 2020 and I had not played in, yeah. I don't know, 30 years, let's say. Let me paint this for the listener. It would be like a certain type of evening where you've had friends over or even just us hanging out with one of your brothers, both of whom have lived with us, you know, like something happens in you and it's usually at night and it's like, you know, a cloud moving over the moon and it's like a werewolf where like the hair starts coming out <laughs> of the back of the shirt 
And I know you're going to sit down at the piano and just rip something and like have so much fun. And it was always Motley Crue. Home Sweet Home was the starting place. It's a good starter. And then you would roll into whatever kind of banging out any sing-along song that you could find, which for all of us, your friends and family, was always pretty impressive. So I think you saying you didn't play piano for 30 years. You played piano. You just weren't really serious about the piano the way you are now and like serious about unlocking it and understanding it. You were more like, let's put on a wig and right. sing. I don't know. It's really fun to sing those hairband ballads. Yeah, of course. And okay. So, right. I, I still played piano, but it was during those years, let's call it my thirties, twenties yeah. and thirties and forties, early, early forties, early forties. Yeah. But it was only within the parameters of having a wig on and making people laugh. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. that's easier. Yeah. That's, that's a different. Yeah. And, and that's it, a big part of your life. Yeah. And I, I've always found that to be a very natural sort of place for me to exist musically. Yes. There, the stakes are lower versus doing something like a wedding or a first dance or a, a funeral. funeral. Yeah. Or other moments that I've had as through the journey that are really meaningful and much more stressful because they're the stakes are high. And all the times that you've played in those situations, you've played for friends. It's not like you're a musician for hire. So your heart is also feeling whatever you're there to experience. Right. I'm by no means someone that you would want to go out and spend a lot of money to perform at your event, but I will do it. And uh, if you know me, I'll do it. So yeah, I mean, that that was my connection to piano for the majority of my young adulthood, but I never, I, I just figured it would stay there. Yeah. And then in 2020, I found it again and I found a teacher who is a friend and a contemporary and a genius, um, Bernard Bear. He's the most prodigious musician that I've ever been in contact with this intimately. Yeah. Anyway, so I started learning, I started taking lessons again. And it was it, it was often, and it still is, about 20 minutes of having a bourbon and talking and 40 minutes of playing piano. Yeah. And that's perfect. So- so then Bernard leaves to, and you're left with practice hours. I'm left with practice yeah, hours. Which and the I, whole to, family witnesses oh boy. is very beautiful because we can hear you putting together a song and you master certain sections of the song. And then the harder sections of the song, it's it can be very violent. <laughs> and there's some curse words and there's lots of sweating. I don't always mm-hmm. tell you that I'm observing this because I'll just kind of hear you as I'm walking through. We have a one-story ranch style house, so we we live very closely together. And yeah. I'll see it's the frustration. Close. I'll hear the you confronting your limitations violently. And mm-hmm. then I just kind of observe the, the level of sweat that's happening. And then I just mm. softly and gently walk away. <laughs> just <laughs> well, sort of fade yes, into the background. and let you have your process, which is Leave. what humans do. 
But tell us more about that moment and how, because I've also seen you overcome those moments and really master these incredible, beautiful songs like that Radiohead song that you worked on for nine months. Yeah, it is a process. There's a lot of frustration. There's a, there is a lot of cussing. There's a lot of sweating. There's self-doubt and there are moments of total joy and feeling feelings of incredible accomplishment at the end of some of those things. That Radiohead song, for example, uh, Let Down, is the hardest thing that I have ever done musically, 10X. The arrangement is by this mad scientist guy, and it's incredible. And it's so beautiful, and it's so complicated, and so difficult. And so for me, I had all of those moments in that song a mm-hmm. hundred times. I can't do this. Why can't I do this? All the way through to sweating and having like massive body temperature rise due to effort, emotion, yeah. concentration. Frustration. Um, yeah. Frustration. And a lot of emotion. It's just a lot of, in that song specifically, but oftentimes just a lot of emotion that goes into it. So it's a process that taps into pretty much every feeling for me. Yeah. Um, from rage to like total ecstasy. When when I'm in, in that moment of being able, I'm like, oh my God, my fingers are just going, like it's it's happening. And I'm not even doing it right now. Yeah, that that happens, and that's so cool. It's such a cool feeling, and it's it can happen across any discipline. Obviously, it's just about like we were talking about getting into that pocket where you're not you're not moving rocks anymore. Yeah, you're just you're just flowing with the current, Um, and it's sort of moments of disbelief, like, holy shit, my hands actually are doing this. I can't believe that I'm not even really thinking about what's next. They, they just know where to go now. Yeah. And, you know. And maybe that's what it's all for. You know, when we talk about facing doubt, self-doubt or confronting limitations, like how and why is that even worth it? Why, why do we even put ourselves mm-hmm. in that position to do that? Maybe it's for that moment where you feel like, an open channel, you feel like you're part of something bigger than what you could accomplish. Mm-hmm. You're part of a creative force that's larger and that you're in your, you're so in your body that it's such a gratifying feeling. Maybe, maybe that's why we keep at it. Maybe that's why humans keep at it. And I actually, I want to, I know that was just a comment, but I want to ask you, what is that for you? Like, is, is that God? Is that source? I know you're not, you don't use the word God a lot, but I know you and I, I, I switch in and out of God. I use God personally, but, you know, in my work and my interests is often about somebody's spiritual experience. And so I open mm-hmm. up my language and I'm not attached to the word God. So for you, that to me feels like it comes from a spiritual dimension, which I think of as like mm-hmm. a transcendent spirituality for me is, is things that you can't see. You know, it's another mm-hmm. dimension. That's that's the only word yeah. I can think of. Is that tapping into 
that expression for you? And do you believe in a muse or it's God or it's love or it's life energy? I definitely think that music is deeply spiritual. The Whether you're listening to it or you're making it, everybody's had that experience of listening to something that moves you to tremendous emotion or lo- lose yourself from everything else that's happening around it it can get it can bring you to that very quiet very still place yeah um just listening to it all the time and playing it too it is something else it's not i'm not consciously thinking about what i'm doing next if i'm really feeling it whether i'm playing guitar or, or playing piano it's in those most pure moments it's it's effortless and it's quiet and it's 100% present and and plugged into what is happening mm-hmm. um but in an effortless way and i think that that is it's definitely something bigger i don't whatever that is it, it you know it is something bigger than we are and yeah i think that for me music and for you know my dad it's always been a means of connecting to self and a means of connecting to something bigger as well for for me it's very much like my most vulnerable my most authentic my most connected moment is listening or playing you know and just tapping into those things in a way that doesn't happen to me normally yeah or that i can't just channel on myself on my own in a way that's beyond words you know i think that's why music is so universal to me it's the highest art form i don't know if i'm supposed to rank art forms but it feels like it's it's one of the reasons we all get so attracted to it and inspired by it because mm-hmm. you can feel it a- across any limitation of language. You, it transcends language. And right. there's just so much that gets lost in translation between people, between cultures, between countries. You know, mm-hmm. but when there's a song that brings people together, when there's a sound that brings people together, it's like all of that goes away. And I, I think what you just said about your dad, it's like if there's a reality that, that okay, he's, he's passed, he died eight years ago? Nine years ago. So he died nine years ago. So, you know, technically that separation, you know, if, we, if you believe consciousness goes on, he's on a different plane which you and I both believe that there's some sense of presence that goes on. It's mm-hmm. like that collapses or it sounds right. like from what you just said, that's the experience you have. It, you feel more connected through those moments with the piano. And I think that's so unifying and it's so hopeful. Yeah. I definitely feel the most connected to my dad in those moments i feel the most i feel his presence the most in those moments i feel the most connected to who i am and who he was in the way that that overlaps i like to think that he would be inspired and proud of 
of me yeah. in those moments. You know, I think that, and that, that gets me to that place in a way that is different from any other process of getting me to think about my dad or celebrate him or in any other way it's or remember him and so it becomes a very heavy practice for me mm -hmm. and i don't mean that in a bad way i mean that in a good way it's just a very um meaningful deep moment of of connection to myself yeah. Really too, you know, and like my vulnerability and my struggle and, you know, yeah. like it's whether important. it's, yeah. yeah, whether it's the struggle with actually struggling, working on a song like that, whether it's the struggle of life, all of that comes to the surface for me in, in those moments. And and then that very real, real feeling of connection to my dad. Yeah. Well, I think that's why creativity is so important for all of us, because it's the part that's very human, and it's the part that transcends our humanity. And you can call that mm -hmm. divinity. If you, I, I could, in my mind, when I think about it, I can access the word divinity, but it, that doesn't have to be the word. You know, it's like that you're right. a mind, a body, and a spirit. And I think creativity is one of the places that we go to feel all of that, you know, to mm -hmm. feel total, to feel whole. And I have this quote on my um, bulletin board. I keep a, as you guys, you, I say you guys, as you and all of our friends, <laughs> because sometimes yes. my bulletin board, which is a massive collage, gets populated mm -hmm. with little notes from your friends that come over and our friends that come over. <laughs> Trust in sleep. Yes, and Jim Canella has left notes, and all all yes. of our beautiful friends who have supported our creativity, and they come into my writing space and write me encouraging notes. So I have a yes. lot of gratitude for that. But I keep one up there that says, take your heartache and turn it into art. And I can't remember who said it. I think it was Meryl Streep um, at, you know, at some thing I read or maybe in an award show. That makes sense because she's a master of her art, her craft. right. But I think that's so true. It's something that is so important in our lives. And one of the things that you've done, and I've seen you do this, and I want to ask you about this, is you've made time for it. And you didn't always make time for it. What, do you? I know this might not have been conscious for you, but it's certainly something you protect now. How do you have the discipline or how do you, you know, in your mind, how do you think about time and the time that it takes to engage in something that's creative that's not necessarily a direct connection to either driving income or something to do with your kids or something to do with somebody you're you're responsible for. Because I, I think mm -hmm. a lot of people listening in my little world, including myself, struggle with time and what gets mm -hmm. our attention and how to prioritize it. And I think you're a person who prioritizes creative expression in your life and creative projects, Wh whether they drive your income or not. You you just you yeah. make time for it. Bernard, my piano teacher, says the longest journey that you have to travel is from the couch to the piano bench. Yes. So there's definitely that is true. Like yes, 
I do not want to go to the piano much. I don't want to go and sit down like for you. It's like I you could have there are a million things on your list at any given point. Yeah. There are four people in this house who demand your attention, who hug you and violate your space too much, <laughs> who maybe don't listen as well as they should, but still want to violate your space. Yes. So how do you get from just, I just want to be done to sit down and be disciplined and and do it? Particularly when you're learning something for me, like piano, for you, like the mastering writing or developing a new modality or sure. like a new part of your business or a cracking a new idea that's yeah. big. When it's not, the results are not always tangible and there isn't a lot of reward necessarily on a day-to-day -day basis. It's like, and Bernard also equates things to this. He's, it's like learning a language. Yeah. So a lot of piano for me and a lot of music is, yes, you learn some things that can get you to where you can make your way around a guitar or a piano and you, and that's great. And those, or it's like going to the gym, like you or learning a new sport or anything. There's a lot of, of growth at the yeah. beginning. And that's awesome. And you're like, oh my God, this is, all of a sudden I'm a great runner. Yeah. And then from there, the results and the rewards are nebulous a lot of times. Yeah. It's like, you just have to sit with it and keep working and keep chipping at it. And you're not, and then like eventually one day you'll be able to speak rudimentary French. Yeah. Like, it's not like you're like every, I just practiced again and now I'm this much better at that or this unlocked the it's thing. It's not linear like that. You have that. to trust. Yeah. yeah, you just have to be disciplined and trust that every little thing and every little step is getting you a little bit closer even if you don't feel it. And so that's that's hard. I mean, I, I'm a pretty disciplined person. Yes. I think you would probably oh, I, I admire slash envy that about you all the time. I think you're, you have a lot of willpower, way more willpower than I have. I mean, you have 10 <laughs> other things that are more than Thank what I Thank you. I wasn't fishing for a compliment, yes. but you really do. Paige, stop fishing for compliments. <laughs> you really do um, hold yourself accountable to the time that it takes. And I, I am much more, I can get derailed by a feeling I'm having. If you really want to mm -hmm. accomplish something and achieve something, you're going to do it. Whereas I'll be tripped up on like, I'm tired today or this doesn't make sense. Or one of the things that I get really frustrated with is just the amount of time. It's not just making time. Okay, so I made the time. Then if I devote a certain amount of time and I didn't get what I wanted to get out of that time, right. then I say to myself, you know, this wasn't worth it. How You think you can write? You can't write. You can't even make sense in two hours. Right. You need right. six hours to even start. You know, and then right. the mountain. Why does this take so, me six hours? Why does this take me six hours? And then I start blaming you. <laughs> Sorry. Isn't that great? I do. Why do I have to go to the grocery store? Why doesn't he go to the grocery store? As I'm walking in with bags. Oh, from please. Ralph's. 
from yeah. I mean, we won't. We'll sidebar yes. that. We'll do another episode about marriage, and we can talk all oh, about division of household labor. <laughs> you do uh, a lot, but you don't go to the grocery store. Invitation accepted, Paige. <laughs> I think what has resonated with me are the those couple things that that I mentioned that Bernard said. And if I say to myself, "Just get to the bench," yeah, just get to the bench, because guess what? It's not you're you're gonna enjoy it. It's like I just want to watch TV. Yeah, you know, I, 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 it's, it's already whatever time, or I don't have time, or just get to the bench for ten minutes. Yeah, sit down for ten minutes if you don't have an hour, and that I think is the most important part. It's like the artist's way, mm-hmm. the morning pages, right? Do the morning pages. Yeah. It's a little different, but it's the same thing. It's like yeah. just go and do a little bit. Do a little bit. Yeah, that every works day. for me sometimes too. Yeah. Or every other day or once a week or whatever it is that just be consistent and and then don't overthink what your results are versus what your time is. Yes. I have to that you is have a to big curve for me. Yeah. Yeah. Like sometimes you're not gonna see it. Yeah. Like, oh, I've been working out for a month and I'm still the same as I was yeah. or whatever, you know, it's and across anything yeah. that you're trying to, I've been eating so well and I'm, I haven't lost any weight, whatever the thing is with discipline. It's just, you just chip, chip at it yeah, and, and then trust. And for me, it's, if I do get to the bench, I enjoy it every time. Yeah. And I end up, I'm like, well, I'm just going to go for 10 minutes and then I'm going to watch TV. And then like an hour later, I'm, I'm having a great time. Yeah. And then I always feel amazing after I do that. Yeah. You know? And and so it is really hard though. It's a struggle across any creative uh, endeavor that I do. It's it is sometimes it's very, very much of a struggle to stay consistent with continuing to learn and work. Yeah. You know? And I think what I hear you saying, if you can get to the bench once you're engaged in the process. That is the learning and that is the reward, is the engagement. It's resisting the engagement with the process. And then on the other end of it, in in my experience, when I battle with, did I produce something? Was it useful? That's like when we were talking about earlier, that's when I need to do the reframe of, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be this useful, perfect product. It's that I got there, I wrote something down. You know, I had this humbling moment the other day, and you know that I like to do this. I like to go back through my journals or just kind of piddle around in my office, all these books behind me. That closet is filled with journals. And I have so many scraps of paper, so much writing in our house, like books upon books. It's really books. unbelievable. It's like I can't even keep the books lined up vertically. They're stacked. That's, which, that's 1% of I know. Your, I know. It drives you crazy. Closet. But this, I'm not going to be a minimalist. This is how I am. It's how I was as a kid. So- I was going back through because I like to do this sometimes when the house is quiet at night. So all of y'all were out. I don't know where people were. This was probably like a couple months ago. I was at a rave, probably. (laughs) (laughs) And I was going through the journals and I say the same thing. I've said the same thing. I've been curious about the same things. I've been writing about the same things for years and what really what the two things at least that are a thread that run through what I get curious about, I'm really curious about how people balance their lives and specifically how women balance their lives between 
um, you know, having their own identity and having a sense of self and being married or being in, in partnership and relationship and having children. Like, I'm really interested in that. I've been interested in that since I was a teenager. And I'm really interested in faith and how we live in this really hard, brutal world. And it, there's so much loss and there's so much hurt and there's so much pain. And yet it's so beautiful and love is everything, you know, and how do you believe that things are going to be okay? So those are the two things I write about. So in one way, it's so cool to see all the writing and all the thinking that I've done and all the time I've spent thinking deeply and observing this. And then on the flip side, I get so frustrated that I don't know that I've landed on anything or I don't know that I've said anything, you know? So it's like, if I release, if I've said something that matters, and just sit with the fact that these ideas engage me, that they invite me. I'm playing with them. I'm writing about them. I write poetry. I, you know, write in a journal. Sometimes I share essays and articles and blogs. It's like when I release that, the need for it to equal something and add up to something, and was it worth it? When I drop all those questions, of course. Like, what else would I be doing? Yeah. You're learning a language. Yeah. That's the language. And it doesn't it feel great to be able to speak French now? Like, yeah. you know, like, isn't, isn't that, isn't there uh, a ton of value in that for, for you? Even though it's been years in the making and it's been progress that sometimes feels dramatic and sometimes feels like, when is it going to come? It's happening the whole time, and you don't have to go and speak French to a million people at a at a convention yeah. for it to be meaningful. That's that's what has been happening for you, and it's it is incredible. You have journals <laughs> with deep thoughts in them from like nineteen eighty five, yeah. you know, and 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 you see the seeds of the ideas that you that inspire you now yeah. that they were happening then is so cool do you I mean, feel that same way about yourself do you feel did can you look back and reflect on seeds that have led you to the creative life that you've built for yourself now i did love playing motley crew when i was like 12 probably too yeah at home sweet home now I, I i would say yeah I think I always, when I look back now, I think that I always really enjoyed and felt fulfilled and inspired by being creative and making things, um, music, yeah. videos, trying to be, you know, funny or express myself in those ways. Yeah. And tell when stories. At, tell stories. Yeah. yeah as I, a kid. Yeah. I think that it was there. I didn't write it down in 7,000 journals and put them all around the house and like all different strokes for different folks. I didn't like use them as coffee tables and all most of our, no. Yeah. Opposites attract. Yeah. That's the truth. Do they say that? Um, It's true for us. It is. It is. But I'm, I am always impressed when I think about that with you and how, 
authentic it is and how pure it is and how much of your life force it is to be a deep thinker and to learn this language that you've learned yeah. and that you're learning. Like it's always been there. Yeah. So, so steadily and so strong. Well, I think and that's what I, yeah. why I wanted to invite you on today and have this conversation and what I feel about in my work, because no matter what I've done for work, I've always worked closely with people of different ages in a learning environment, whether that's a one-on-one coaching environment, whether that's a classroom, whether that's a, you know, outside of the classroom kind of learning experience. Mm-hmm. And it's true for everyone. I think we have through right. lines. I think we have seeds. I think we yeah. have things that we came here in our life to experience and to explore. And, you know, for anyone listening who has a instinct or an impulse or a curiosity about exploring their creative expression in some way, I think that's a sign. You know, there's that that um, Joseph Campbell quote, follow your enthusiasm. And I feel like you've really done that in your life. And I've really done that in my life too. And it's it's led us both to own our own businesses and have a professional expression of it, but it doesn't have to be professional. Like it's the way you right. talk about, I was listening to you talk about your dad and I was envisioning our daughters. We have twin daughters who are 16, how they'll talk about you one day. And I think they'll talk about you cooking with them. You know, I think you cooking with them on Sundays or any day. I mean, it doesn't always have to be a Sunday. It just turns out that Sundays are the days that are most convenient for y'all to cook together. I don't like cooking, but that's been a beautiful, like consistent expression for the three of you and talking about food and exploring different recipes and looking at cookbooks. And that's something that has nothing to do with your professional life. But I imagine them when they're your age, reflecting back on what creativity was like in our home and those memories of the kitchen will probably come forward. I would have to imagine, as well as memories of the piano and other things we've done. But it's it's a beautiful way to open up your, you know, whoever's listening, your definition of creative expression. It can come in all shapes and sizes in your life, and it's core to who we are as people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also core to what we can offer other people. You know, your creativity, your music your sense of humor that's been a gift to all of us to me to our kids to our community to our friends and anyone who's ever experienced you in that way and can receive you in that way it's joyful which is exactly what your connection to it is you know i really believe that the intention with which something was created is how it's received it carries that Mm. and you create with joy so it's received with joy and everybody has something like that in their life. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. By the yeah. Way. It's very sweet to say, but, and, and I do agree with that. The way that something is created is how it's received. Yeah. I like that. I um, want to tell you this last thing, that something that Ryan said, and, and we can wrap up our conversation, but sure. the other day they have <clears throat> this um, class, they're juniors and Ryan has a class in career development. So it was some curriculum that they were doing around exploring various career paths and to set them up to do that this year they had to take a series of career counseling like quizzes and tools and there's this one called the holland code and it was developed by a psychologist named john holland and so i knew about this career tool from from graduate school so when she came home with her results i was like oh i know about the holland codes like tell me about your results 
And basically what you do is you take a quiz and it um, gives you a result and it you can be three of six different categories and there are different attributes that you then match with j- possible jobs for you. So the assessment really is about this idea that that jobs and vocations have personality types. And when a human matches his or her personality type with the job type, that's going to be a more gratifying career path. So she is three characteristics she scored high on, social, artistic, and enterprising. So she opens up her folder and she's like, oh, I'm an SAE. And so we look at the different jobs that match SAE. And so I say to her, I'm picking up on the A in the middle for artistic. And I say to her, oh, that's so cool that you have this aptitude for artistic, you know, jobs. If you ever want to explore more of that, you know, or if you, if we can support you somehow, whether you want to take a class, you want to take art, you know, workshop, whatever. And she looks at me and she goes, I know. And I said, oh, how did you know? And she goes, well, because you and dad are artists. And I Mm. thought that was so powerful because, first of all, I don't ever think of myself as an artist. And I have never heard you refer to yourself as an artist. But why it was so powerful to me is that no matter what we say, no matter the words or the explanations that we give our children to raise our children, or no matter what beautiful advice we give our friends you know, when our friends call us for advice, all of those words pale in comparison to how we live and how we embody what's important to us. And I felt really proud. I feel a little emotional (laughs) recalling it now because not for myself, but really for you, because you, you really do drive so much of the collective creativity in our home. And I think it's such a powerful like validation that She's absorbed that in our home, just like you absorbed it from your childhood home. And that pursuing art or creative expression or her unique authenticity is a no-brainer for her. It's not even a conflict because you live that way. And I I think that's Mm. why I wanted to talk to you. I'm I'm so grateful that you share about your experience. And I know someone listening, I hope, will be inspired and motivated by what you've done and how you've prioritized music in your life. And I know we are all better for it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with me. That, that makes me feel like I'm doing my job Yeah. as a parent. Um, well, your job is to be you. And then that means yeah. that you get to be. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what our kids want us to be. And that's what living, they're just living a true life. Yeah. And, my my dad, you know, after, well, he was always connected to music, right? So he had a banking job yeah. for 25, 30 years, as I mentioned. But every week he would travel and he would go and spend his nights out with musicians at clubs and see music every night. And he met all the club owners and all the musicians and he developed this incredible network. And so when he was probably around my age, we were already in college or out of college but he quit his job and he started a jazz label and for the last 15 years of his life he ran this jazz label and it was very artist centric it was very 
joyful and yeah. it was very authentic as to who he was and why he was connected to music. And it was all about making great music. And it was the happiest that we ever, or that I ever saw him. It was the happiest I ever saw him in his life. Yeah. And when he died, it, it really, I mean, this, you want to find a way to not make money, you should start a jazz label. <laughs> so it was definitely was not. Well, that's, that's also another podcast episode we could do is just how creativity relates to the reality of financial, you know, the world. Yeah. So there, he, right. Yes. He made that he leap. Definitely it was his second career. did not yeah. do it for financial reasons. Yeah. And so when he died, the, the real inheritance for me and for my brothers, but speaking from, from my perspective was to live a true life and to um, be brave and trust. Yeah. And I really uh, took a lot from watching him in his purest state like that. And so when I came to a crossroads in my life as to whether I was going to continue doing jobs that I didn't really care about or you know, trust and try to build something that was my own that I really am invested in and I really care about and am passionate about. It became very, not easy, but it became much easier for me sure. to do. It was very clear that it was the right thing to yeah. do. So when Ryan says that she sees us that way, it it really does feel pretty great Yeah, um, that I'm doing my job by the way that I live. Yeah. You yeah. sure are. So thanks for, thank you for sharing that with yeah. me. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thanks for will having me. Will you come me. back? We, we will see. <laughs> I'll put you in touch with my people. Okay. And um, my people is Ryan, actually. Yeah. So you're going to have to negotiate with her. Yeah. She's already told um, me she doesn't want to come on, but maybe she'll book you. Yeah, that's it. And she takes a piece. So yeah, I don't know. It's funny enough, I was SAE also, I remember. When I did oh, that, you, oh, you, that you, test, I yeah. remember those three exactly. Yeah, oh, that's Social, good. Social, artistic, and enterprising. enterprising. We'll put a link in the show notes for you guys to do it at home. It's a good one. I like all those personality assessments. Anything that we can do to get more self-aware and get more aligned with your aptitudes, I think is a useful um, way to spend your time. Yeah. So yes, we'll put a link there. All right, boy. Thank you for having me. I love you. I love you too. Thanks for meeting me. I'll meet you in the kitchen. Yeah, sounds good. Okay. Bye. Bye. Well, we did it and it was a total joy. Thank you so much to Boyd for sharing so openly and honestly and inspiring us to make that journey from the couch to the bench, whatever those benches are in our lives. Thanks to each of you for being here and for listening. I'm so grateful we get to share life in this way. As always, full show notes are available at pagenolan.com forward slash podcast. There you will find a full summary of the episode, timestamps and key takeaways and any resources mentioned in our conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love if you would leave me a rating and a review. You can do that by visiting pagenolan.com forward slash love. Your reviews really do help people to discover the show. And if you know someone specifically who would enjoy this episode, I'm so grateful. 
to have you all share. I'll meet you there with your friends. Lastly, if you have any questions or comments, or if you would like to share any feedback with me, please email to meetmethere at pagenolan.com. I would love to hear from you. Thank you to the team that makes this show possible. Podcast production and marketing by North Node Podcast Network. Music by Boyd McDonnell. Cover photography by Innes Casey. Okay, y'all, that's it for now. I'll meet you there again soon. Thank you.